This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of In the Heights. What does Juanito mean? Juanito? It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In un barrio called Washington Heights. The streets were made of music. I am Usnavi, and you probably never heard my name. Reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente, café con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. This is going to be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are against you. But there's a chance, right? A dream isn't some sparkly diamond. There's no shortcuts. Sometimes it's rough. Yeah, I'm a street light choking on the heat. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. But every day is different, so it's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Just listen. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Ignore anyone who doubts you. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for In the Heights, and the story is as follows. In Washington Heights, New York, the scent of warm coffee hangs in the air just outside the 181st Street subway stop, where a kaleidoscope of dreams rallies a vibrant, tight-knit community. At the intersection of it all is a likable and magnetic bodega owner who hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. The film is starring Anthony Ramos, Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, Melissa Barrera, Olga Marides, Daphne Rubin Vega, Gregory Diaz V. Fourth, and Jimmy Smits. It is directed by John M. Chu and written by Quirera Aguirre Hudes. 
Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Michael Schwartz. Good morning, you snobby. Amanda Spears. I'm not going to sing. Dan Baer. You owe me a bottle of cold champagne. Zach Gilbert. No, my diga. <laughs> and Casey Lee Clark. I'm not going to top any of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to attempt it either. But here we are. We're talking about In the Heights today. It is now currently playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. It is a movie that I know a bunch of us here have been anticipating for quite some time now, considering that the movie got pushed off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. They promised us that this was a movie that we had to see in a theater. This was a movie that was going to reunite everybody around the cinematic experience. And boy, oh boy, were they right. John M. Chu, I think, has truly topped himself here after what he delivered with Crazy Rich Asians in terms of sheer cinematic bombastic quality. And In the Heights is a cultural celebration. It is so much to so many people. And it's also, um, you know, the introduction for many people to this up-and-coming star named Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't know. I, has anyone heard of this guy? I, like, anyway, uh, it's a, it's been a movie that right now is a talk of the town, not just up in the Heights, not just in any borough in New York, but all over the world here to talk to me about it today. Why don't we start off with... Why don't we start off with Casey Lee Clark? Oh, me. <laughs> Um, so we did a review of the original musical on Next Best Theater, which people can listen to. So that I, I gave my spiel of my introduction to this show and whatnot there. But for the movie, I had a great time. I saw it last night in a sold out as much as it can be theater with great sound. And I just had a blast. I think it's, you know, the perfect blend of happiness and fun and also that great emotion. I think that it like you said, John Chu, I think just does a great job with the big musical numbers and just getting the feel for the place and all these characters. I think everybody in it's fantastic. All the music sounds great. There's so many great standout musical numbers. And I think it's just the perfect feel-good movie. It's such a great summer movie. Um, as just a fan of musicals in general and movie musicals, it's a, a great one to add to the canon. And I'm really happy that it's doing well and everyone loves it. All right. Passing it over next to Michael Schwartz. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have seen this on Mother's Day in IMAX. It was actually my first time back in a theater since the pandemic, which was really exciting. And having been really familiar with the show and Lin-Manuel's work, what this looked like on stage at the Richard Rogers Theater, I was really intrigued to see what John M. Chu and company would do with this uh, cinematic adaptation. Because we've seen a number of movie musicals lately that just don't live up to their stage counterparts. And for my money, this is like the highest praise I could give since it's my favorite movie of all time. I think this is the most vibrant, energetic, and ambitious movie musical adaptation since Chicago. What John and Chu does with the material here bringing it to the screen, I am just in total awe of how he opens this up. It's the rare movie musical that I think is better than the stage version, which is so incredibly you know, rare to see. The energy of this thing, the performances, the ensemble, the... Whether the music sounds like we take that for granted, how a lot of movie musicals are not up to par with how they sound on stage. This is just a total home run in every way possible. And I think it's going to go down as one of the great movie musicals of all time. I loved it. Amanda? I agree. The reason why I'm here, I, obviously, I live in Ohio um, and the movie theaters are not open. Yay. So I saw it on HBO Max. It was the perfect summer movie. 
I have very, very few complaints, and none of them are with the performances. I'm glad that felt like this magical little little block in New York where people just kind of break out into song. The sound of this musical was so amazing, and I think Zhang Xu delivered the best musical of the century. Sorry, Rob Marshall. This was incredible. And the performances were amazing. Amazing. I have so few problems with this. I just had the best time. I want to go visit this place and skip around and run through fire hydrants that are broken. I didn't know you could do that. You you technically really shouldn't do that here in New York. But (laughs) you can do it, though. All right. Speaking of New York, my fellow New Yorker colleague, Dan Baer. Yeah, so I live in Washington Heights, um, one subway stop below the 181st Street, um, where this all supposedly takes place. Um, And I have ever since I moved to the city in 2014. So it was really special to... Um, see in the Heights a couple of weeks ago at my first time back in a movie theater. And I was totally blown away um, right from the opening number. I It is really difficult to get the right tone for a movie musical. And this hits that perfect sweet spot of heightened realism, magical realism that musicals work best in. And John Chu just keeps doing it again and again and again throughout the movie. It is glorious. It is so much fun. It is just one of the most exuberant films I've seen in a long time. It is just full to bursting with life and joy and they, like Amanda said, my problems with it are like teeny, teeny, tiny nitpicks. But I overall, I just love it. I wonder if we share the same nitpicks. I would not be, mm. I would not be surprised because I too have tiny, tiny, tiny nitpicks. Uh, but I'll get to my thoughts in a second because we still have to hear from Zach. Yeah, I echo everyone else's sentiments so far. Um, I've had a really special spot in my heart for a musical for a couple of years. Um, one of my best friends was in it, and I saw it like at the height of Hamilton buzz and like the summer of 2017. He was sunny. So I've loved it ever since then, like right up there with Hamilton for me. And I've been looking forward to this for so long. And like everyone said, right from the first scene, I was just in the palm of John and Chu's hand. I was amazed at what he created. And I think it's remarkable how they sustain that mood and that energy almost for the entire, like nearly two and a half hour runtime. I was just wholly engaged the entire time. I thought the entire ensemble was impeccable. I don't think there was a single weak link. I just, I wanted to live in this world, kind of like some others were saying. It was just so delightful. Well, you can live in this world by taking a plane <laughs> ticket over to, no, I'm kidding. Um, this, this movie is something that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I really genuinely feel that this is the movie that everyone needs right now. And I understand that it focuses on a very, very specific uh, community in New York, but that's not the point here. It is truly a universal um, experience of one that we can all share in the theater or at home streaming if you are unable to go to a theater still, um, like in Amanda's case. 
Either way, um, this is the kind of movie that I think really reminds us why we like movies. It's because of that communal aspect. And you really do get a great feel of that when you're watching uh, this film. And it's also because, yes, it's an ensemble movie. Uh, The movie does a great job of getting us to care about each one of the uh, leads of this film. You know, you can argue that there are four leads here. Um, And then also, too, the movie features a lot of movement, not just with the camera, but the choreography. So as uh, mentioned before, it's got this really energetic kinetic feeling to it when you're watching it that is infectious and as an audience member you truly do feed off of that and you can feel the vibrancy that it just kind of creates in the room um it, it's really incredible i think what john m chu has done here uh, michael said before uh, the most impressive uh, musical since chicago amanda saying best of the century i got to agree i mean i know that like everyone went crazy for you know la la land when it came out but this is how a musical really 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 should be in terms of the ensemble getting the dancers involved for the choreography for these big numbers the editing everything is just so in sync with this film and it's all under the direction of this director john m chu who previously gave us like i said crazy rich asians and before that admittedly not the most impressive filmography in the world, but I think with these two films now back to back and him being tapped now to direct uh, the upcoming adaptation of Wicked, um, it's really, really kind of amazing to see uh, the rise of him over the last couple of years here. Musicals are in such good hands and his hands. I, I mean, I think he's going to be up there w- with some of the great musical theater, musical directors. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, La La Land, I'm not going to get into that, but it this is a musical. It has more than three songs in it. I mean, as I mentioned before, it's like everyone has already praised the ensemble. Uh, nobody here hits a false note in their singing. So there's no Russell Crowe, uh, Les Miserables, like <laughs> casting going on here that we can criticize. Yeah, who knew Jimmy Smith could sing? I, right? <laughs> where, 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 they've been hiding all this Okay. <laughs> hey, he wasn't like... He wasn't like Pierce Brosnan. He he could hold it. <laughs> yeah, own. that's true. Enough. There we go. <laughs> the bar is very low for him, but yeah. Also, too, I had no idea that Corey Hawkins, um, you know, who right. really came to prominence with uh, Straight Outta Compton in 2015, no idea that he could sing, especially at the level of uh, the role being originated by Christopher Jackson, who makes a cameo in this movie as well, which was a very nice touch. But I, I, I was a little hesitant about that at first, because obviously Christopher Jackson is just such an incredible uh, singer. And I was like, oh, is Corey Hawkins going to be able to match like that same level of quality? And yeah, he, he too even managed to surprise me at times. Yeah, he's a beautiful was, voice. I was so impressed with him. Uh, Benny's uh, dispatch song is one of the trickiest songs in the show to sing, and he absolutely nailed it. I mean, I, I my roommate made a funny joke to me when we were watching it a second time. He was like, was... Uh, was uh, Leslie Odom Jr. just, like, not available? And I was like, no. I'm like, honestly, I think that he is better for this role than if they had gotten yeah. Leslie. Yeah. So, and also, too, as we mentioned, uh, as I just mentioned, it introduces a new layer to him as an actor now that we didn't know was previously there. And, 
you know, if you're invested in the career uh, of, uh, you know, Corey Hawkins and what he's been doing with like, you know, Walking Dead and a few other side projects over the years, this is just another nice addition to his uh, to his to his resume. And then some of these other performers in this, it's like they're incredible. Mm-hmm. There's a song in the musical called Sunrise that is such a beautiful moment for Benny and Nina. Unfortunately, it was cut from the movie. And you can see why, because of some of the changes that were made. But if you were impressed by what Corey Hawkins could do with uh, Benny's Dispatch and some of his other numbers, it would have been really nice to hear him sing that one because that's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I was talking to Dan Bear about with this movie the other day was um, as someone who had familiarity with the original show. And all I did before watching this was listen to the cast album. I didn't, you know, do anything else uh, prior to this. Um, I, I haven't even watched the um, I haven't even watched the Tony uh, clip, uh, you know, that they play with uh, Lynn and uh, a couple of your other original cast members. So I was kind of heading into this like pretty cold for the most part. So Michael, Casey, Dan, for those of you that are familiar with the original uh, Broadway uh, production, how does this compare in terms of songs that were cut, trying to fit it into the mold of a movie, a.k.a. the narrative framing device? Like, what did you guys think about the cinematic changes that they made in terms of the adaptation? I think it's kind of 50-50. I think they did a really good job with updating the book to the I'll say the more or less present day. Um, I think that the you know the addition of making Sunny a a, a dreamer in you know capital letter in quotes um, is it adds to the impact that the second half of the show has. I think and makes it more relevant to today than it would have been if they had just adapted it straight from the stage version. But I do think some of the choices in what songs to cut and which to keep are a little confusing. Um, I think that it sacrifices some depth in some characters, particularly Nina Nina and Benny, in order to make for a more um, streamlined show, even though it's not that much shorter than the Broadway show. (laughs) (laughs) But they do kind of, you know, streamline the story to focus more on Usnavi. I think the original Broadway production is a a little bit more of an ensemble piece than this is. Um, But for the most part, it still works really well. I mean, the strength of In the Heights has never been the book, and that is still the case here in the movie the strength of it is in the music and that comes across loud and clear especially in the hands of this absolutely fantastic supporting cast i pretty much all the problems that i had with the story in the broadway show are still present but you couldn't fix those without significantly altering the um the source material, and I wouldn't want them to do that. I think this is one of the rare Broadway to movie adaptations that actually trusts in its material mm-hmm. to come across and trusts in the cast and um, power of cinema to take it away from the stage. Yeah, and I think some of the like the cut numbers, they were still incorporated in some way with dialogue or like that, like a plot line might have been changed so they wouldn't have had any purpose i do agree that like i think another moment or song with benny and nina although i think that the show does a great job and the movie as well of the fact that all of these people already know each other before 
this Mm -hmm. begins. And so you already, you don't have to worry of like, oh, these people fall in love pretty fast. It's like, no, there's a bunch of, you know, you have to believe that there's all this history with these characters. Um, And I think adding in that little bit that, you know, the two of them dated before she went off to college, I think makes a lot of that a bit more believable. And I like that both her and Vanessa and Sunny as well, I think get a little more weight to those characters and more motivation so that they're not Mm -hmm. just like, it's, it's more than just, Oh, she wants to move up downtown. It's, Oh, she also has these other goals and same with Nina. Like I think it did a good job of adding more to those characters than what was on the stage in that way. I would say that it's about maybe 85% faithful to the show and that remaining 15% isn't necessarily adding anything new, but more just altering and tweaking little bits and details uh, to make them more accessible to the screen or uh, fit better into 2020 setting. So I, I understand why changes were made. For example, there's the character of Nina's mother in the show, and she's uh, deceased in the film. So it would make no sense for her to have like a flashback song or anything like that. You do get a picture of Priscilla Lopez in the background, though, which is a nice mm-hmm. uh, little... <laughs> Uh, Easter egg for Broadway fans. But outside of the DACA storyline, that's pretty much the only new thing that was added uh, within the context of the plot. Oh, that and uh, the framing device, of course, which isn't in the show. Right. But, yeah. you know, it, it would, would have been difficult to do that on stage. And I think it works better on screen, to be honest with you. I want to get to the narrative framing device in just a moment here because I do have some questions about that that Dan and I uh, kind of scratched <laughs> the surface on last night, but I really wanted to open it up to everyone else. Um, before I get to that, though, something that Dan brought up earlier that's like one of my small nitpicks with the movie is while I do think that it's helpful that there are a ton of uh, cast members here that have their own individual dreams that they're all like working towards, mm. this this story this story of people just chasing dreams wanting to get out of the town that they grew up in and build a better life for themselves it's it's kind of simple isn't it like kind of like just no real complexity you know i agree and that was kind of what i talked about the some of the changes sort of flattening the characters a bit i think in the um in the on broadway there was more of a through line about the pull of home and um, your family and friends and like, you know, chosen family and people who, the people around you and who love you and creating a community. And it was really about the community that they've created in Washington Heights. And that is present in the film, I think in more visual ways than it is in terms of the actual plot and what characters say and do and that's fine but it sort of leaves the stated theme to be just you know everybody's got a dream and go follow your dream and we've seen plenty of go follow your dream narratives over the year over the years and like the presentation of it is you know magical at times but still like as far as just a two and a half hour runtime to boil it all down to oh we're chasing dreams it's like Okay. <laughs> I, I think a lot of what I keep coming back to as well is when um, the abuela, she talks about, you know, asserting your dignity in little ways. And for me, I look at how the characters, you know, it's not just always following their dream. It's also making a space for themselves, kind of in environments that aren't always as welcome to them. Kind of like how, you know, Washington Heights is being gentrified and some, they're kind of feeling like the things are getting more expensive, like they talk about in the opening. And they're being pushed out and it's like still, you know, maintaining your ground and even in a place that, 
you know, may not be made for you, kind of like Nina at Stanford when she faces that discrimination and everything. It's that, you know, knowing your worth and knowing that, like, you belong, even if other people and other forces are trying to tell you you don't. That was, like, a really powerful thematic through line for me when I was watching. Oh, I see. I thought Nina, maybe it was my interpretation of it, had this, like, realization that going to Stanford and coming back and then doing something with her degree to help the people in her community was where she was at at the leaving of it. I I didn't take it as she was going to leave forever and never come back. No, that's what Yusnavi, I think, is uh, more so communicating to everyone. Like, he's the one that's like, I just want to get out of here, man. I want to go and live the best days of my life uh, away from here uh, because he has these memories of living in the Dominican Republic with his father and so on and so forth. Uh, And then, you know, Vanessa, too, also has her own dreams, but they're more about her career and artistic uh, pursuits and making it in uh, New York, maybe not necessarily Washington Heights, but just, you know, in New York in general. And Benny... I don't really know what Benny wants to do, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> I remember a, a line about getting an MBA degree. Okay. Yeah, that's at 96000 Yeah, being like a yeah. businessman and like making money. Sure. Sure. Yeah, he doesn't really go into what he wants so much. But it, it is interesting that, and this is hearing everyone talk about this is sort of the first time I'm realizing this, which is, I don't know if it's a little embarrassing for my critical faculties or just proof that these podcasts have worth, damn it. Um, but, <laughs> but, like These are all different levels of dreams, mm-hmm. and, you know, like how, like, you know, Yustavi wants to get away completely and nina you know she wants to go learn and then come back and vanessa just wants to have upward mobility is basically what she wants although this is one thing that really annoyed me you cannot get from 181st street to west 4th street and back in a lunch hour <laughs> I, that was hysterical. sorry yeah i'm sorry like you can't even get to the theater district in that time. Let alone with this one. They must. Daniela gives her a long lunch break. She's like, <laughs> lunch afternoon. Yeah, I like that one line about when they're talking about gentrification. They're like, well, I, I think it might have been Jimmy Smith's character, but they were talking about how he bought his place from Irish people. Yes. At first, it started off yeah. Irish, and then it became Hispanic, and now it's going. So there's always this kind of evolution of the neighborhood that some people can remember. Like, it wasn't always a Hispanic neighborhood. First, it was where the Irish were kept, and then eventually it it turned into something else. I I like that one of them had, like, more of a realistic um, nature to it. Like, this is just what happens in life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're losing our culture. Well, like, you know, as time goes by, uh, everything changes, right? Yeah. The people around you change, businesses change, the behaviors change, everything changes uh, over time. You can't necessarily build, I think, your own utopia and keep it that way forever. You have to adapt and change and evolve and grow uh, with the times. So it's all kind of natural. But with that said, there is this deep, like planted flag, I feel, in that community of heritage, of um, there being shared history uh, with the people in your neighborhood uh, that does make it feel, it's it's very weird. As somebody who lives in New York, the way that 
John M. Chu and the rest of the filmmakers depict Washington Heights in this movie, it it almost does feel otherworldly at times, but that's the point of the movie musical, mm-hmm. is to give it this heightened sense of fantasy that makes it a place that even if it is familiar, it feels magical at times. And I I gotta tell you, like it's so amazing to me how even like simple things like the community pool or the corner bodega on the street can just feel so alive with this film. Yeah. And they shot it on location in the Heights and it was like a big event. Oh yeah. <laughs> they were doing it. And let me tell you, like it accurately captures every aspect of the heights i mean and not just from like the location shooting where i was like there were certain scenes where like yep i know that corner yep i know those buildings yep i know that park but like it the feeling of it i they really captured the spirit of the neighborhood in a beautiful way and like grain of salt because coming with you know (laughs) a white guy who lives in washington heights but like it has every bit of the spirit of the atmosphere (laughs) that I live in every day. What do you guys think, though, of those um, heightened elements? I'm talking about moments where there's animation in some scenes. Uh, There's a scene where Benny and Nina are dancing on the side of a building. Those were the scenes I had the biggest problems with because, yeah, I I get that most of this was probably shot on location, but the CGI in this film was so cheap. I'm talking about like the pool number. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the dancing on the building where it was so obvious that this was not real. You know what I found more impressive than that? But like it, it showed the same level of ambition. I, w- I think I was more impressed with um, champagne yes. being shot in one take in the confines of a you know apartment building than I was with anything uh, that you just mentioned there, Amanda, like the simplicity and the grounded reality of these people in this community with um, goals that should be relatable to us. I felt like when, you know, the filmmaking matched that, that's when the movie was actually at its best. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I I loved the pool number until I saw some of these obvious background shots where it looked flat like the background looked flat yeah sure. there's one That's- angle with usnavi singing where you can tell like he was not there they <laughs> that yeah. i'm like i'm like oh but then you have other things like pacencia ife which you know oh, is probably the most stylized yeah. number but because it's incorporating lighting and choreography and the yeah. costuming it still feels tangible it feels both the most theatrical but also the most like heightened movie musical and i think like outside of the opening number for me that was like Mm. the highlight i mean beyond just the you know filmmaking technique and like the creativity of that idea i think that that it shows what that you you know you maybe not might not need like over the top theatrics as far as like technology but just these like classic filmmaking techniques in that way i i completely agree with you I was reminded when you have uh, the dancing on the side of the building and when the sun goes down, to me, it wasn't so much looking at it from a technical perspective as it was the homage to something like Royal Wedding with Fred Astaire dancing. Mm, okay, like, sure. Yep. That's what I got out of that more than it's not going to get a visual effects nomination by any means. It's more just, oh, I understood why they did this. It really got me emotionally. 
the one I didn't like was uh, the animations during 96,000, but it's such a small thing. It didn't interrupt my enjoyment one bit. Yeah. I okay. Agree. I loved the animation in 96,000 because it was small and that number is so fun and they are fantasizing about what they would do with the money. And I yeah. liked that much better than, for example, the um, fantasy sequence uh, for Money Money in Mamma Mia. Where that's much, a much more literal, like, I'm going to be on this giant boat in a caftan sort of yeah, thing. I like, wouldn't use Mamma Mia as, your, <laughs> as the one you're using as a comparison. I mean, yeah, Come I, I <laughs> but, but like, you get Meryl Streep at a roulette table, so that was worth it. <laughs> she looked gorgeous on that boat, but she did. She did. <laughs> Not gonna lie, but yeah, I I liked it because it was this little bit of illustrating their fantasies. I thought it was very cute, and I just loved how each musical number in this had its own style, but they all still felt part of the same whole. It all felt organic when they started singing, yes. too. It didn't feel like they hit play on the track, and then they started singing. 100% agree yeah. with that. Yes. But I will say, though, that, and this is like, this has been a common complaint I've heard from numerous people, um, and I was paying attention to it a lot on uh, my second viewing of it, more so than the first. The first I felt it, but the second I wanted to kind of like pinpoint where it happens, the, the movie's not as long as people say it is. It's only 143 minutes, but the movie feels long at a certain point because I, I and I, I was trying to pinpoint exactly where, because the movie could have been three and a half hours long, and if it's great, no one's going to complain about the length necessarily, right? So I was trying to pinpoint, all right, where in the movie do people start feeling the runtime? Why? And... I kind of came to the conclusion that I think after Pacienza Ife, mm -hmm. because that number is so, as Casey said, um, just so well done in the way that it is shot, performed, choreographed. It really is like this emotional high moment or or low moment, however you want to interpret that, um, that it brings the character of Usnavi and the rest of the block because um, uh, Abuela treats the whole block like they are her children you know it's kind of the low point for the characters in the story but then you know there's still a lot of story left to tell and i did feel that even though the musical numbers as dan said were very distinctive they didn't get repetitive or anything like that there was a part of me that felt okay when are we wrapping this up now because the characters have been knocked down now they got to get back up and then we got to end on a happy note right mm -hmm. and i kind of got this feeling that it was taking too long after that point for us to get there yeah i would say yeah. if there is a lull it is kind of following abuela's death because there's like still an hour left you feel like you were saying that's like such an emotional high point but then there's still like an hour left to go yeah and like everyone kind of wrapping up their storylines and i feel I didn't feel the length too much, but if I did, I would say it's also kind of when um, Vanessa is trying to kind of convince Usnavi to stay. There's like a there's like mm -hmm. I think maybe one too many scenes of like trying to get to that point where we finally see what she did to like the bodega and everything. Like there's like a little too much like conversation. I'm like, okay, let's get to the point where like you know he realizes, oh, I want to stay. But it was kind of spinning its wheels a little bit there for me. <laughs> I agree with that, because when you have that same revelation in the show, it is very streamlined. I won't say what it is if anyone wants to go back and see it on YouTube, but it's just done much 
faster and you get the same impact. So I don't know that these were necessary changes and they do, you know, bog the tone down a little bit and the pacing. But again, not something that I'm going to say, oh, that ruined the entire movie. No, God, no, absolutely not. Maybe because there's two big, obviously, like after Boyla dies, then there's two big numbers with Albanza and Carnival del Barrio, where it seems like the whole cast is involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they wanted to, they probably could have cut one of them. Maybe. But I don't know which one or they maybe. would have been able to do. Because that's when I felt like they were spinning a little bit for me. is because we had two big ensemble numbers. But I also mm-hmm. don't know which one I would want you to get rid of. I don't know. For me, it's the classic like act two problem of musicals, where... Mm-hmm. Act two usually has less songs and more book scenes. And I think that was the thing that slowed this movie down. Whenever there's a musical number, that energy picks right back up. But there are a lot of long dialogue scenes in the second half. And like, like you said, Mike, Matt, that kind of go over the same beats again and again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it could have, they could have tightened that up just ever so slightly. I, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying this had to be below two hours or two fifteen. Mm-hmm. All I'm mm-hmm. saying is that I think that the movie takes us on a ride. I think that the rides got, you know, emotional highs. We have points where we're turning. We have points where we're flipping. You know, we're on this roller coaster. But at a certain point, the thrill starts to uh, the initial thrill does wear off if you don't end the ride at a certain point in the journey. If the ride just keeps going, then the thrill starts to wear off a little bit. I think there was a smarter use of that time, perhaps if they had added one of the songs from the show that was cut. There's a great song called Everything I Know, which mm-hmm. is Nina's song after the death of Abuela. Mm-hmm. And that just would have given a little bit more context of the character and the emotion of the situation. I felt like how it was done here, you're still filling that time. But they moved over to something like Carnival de Barrio, which is moved from where it's placed in the show. The placement of it there instead of something like Everything I Know just takes away from the emotion of that moment. Yeah, I think that with those more dialogue-heavy scenes, I think if there was an added song, I don't think we would feel the length as much because it would be something different in there. I think if there would be any place I would tighten it, it would be with some of these dialogue scenes. Or There's a lot of parts early on with Usnavi kind of trying to get Vanessa's attention, but I'm sure that they like have a lot of like lulls and pauses where it's supposed to emphasize that awkwardness, but you can kind of start to feel like, all right, let's get a move on here, guys. Not to mention, yeah. I'm and I'm really sorry to say this, but any and I talked to Dan about this yesterday. Like, you can't convince me that Anthony Ramos feels that he is out of her league and portray him as being this like kind of a dweeb when he's around her. I'm sorry, but it's so unconvincing. But like yeah. it works on stage because it's Lynn. Matt, but you never had a crush that just around them you lose all your cool. But this is Anthony Ramos. Like no, 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 no. Doesn't matter. Everyone has different hangups. I can't believe I'm agreeing with Dan. This is starting. (laughs) Well, but like the scene where it really crystallized the most for me was when they go to the club and they go dancing because she is clearly so into him. She likes him. He likes her. And she gets out on that stage. She starts dancing. And he's all like, let me get another shot. And she's like, no, I'm fine. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to get two more shots. And it's like. Bro, what are you doing? I think <laughs> just was I, like, I read that as like this guy never leaves his store and he just is clueless. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah that's what I thought too. He's drunk. 
Yeah. No Hobla okay. and Gliss. I honestly really genuinely just felt like it, the movie was trying to create conflict and drama where, quite frankly, I did not feel that it was earned because they didn't sell me enough on him not being... Be, it's not like she's not into him and uh, they have to, like, grow together, like, you know, um, in, in their affection for one another. It, it, they like each other from the start, so... They do, but Usnavi has communication issues. Does he? He's singing to the audience and to the camera very well. <laughs> but, yeah, to the camera, but he can't bring himself to ask her out twice. Uh, she's given him all the signs of ask me out, ask me out. Clearly I like you. And it's like, it's yeah. just frustrating. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just saying she, I've been there. She's a female character who knows exactly what she wants. She's got all her agency and individuality and that can intimidate some guys. So, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I like almost use Navi as the villain now because he's my competition to Vanessa because I had like <laughs> after this movie. So I was almost rooting for that relationship to fail at one point. Vanessa, let me get the next, the next one. one. <laughs> well, I will say that in terms of the cast, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I, I made it sound like there were unknowns. They're not. Leslie Grace is obviously an established uh, singer. Uh, Corey Hawkins, like I said, straight out of Compton, Anthony Ramos, Hamilton. But Melissa Barrera is someone who I would say is relatively uh, new. She's been in a few things, but for the most part, um, I don't think that people have ever really seen her on this level before. And as a result of that, I think that she is the true breakout of this movie, if you ask me. I totally agree. Yeah. She yeah. is just fire whenever she's on screen. You can't look away. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I would say when I watch the musical, I always really connected and related to Nina the most. I feel like it was Usnavi and Nina who I paid the most attention to. Mm-hmm. And here, as soon as she Vanessa comes on screen, she's singing no, no, no into the phone. I was just <laughs> immediately entranced by her performance. I don't, like I could never, like you were saying, look away whenever she was singing, dancing. She just has this magnetism in every single scene she's in. And oh, my God, it's undeniable. My friend and I were texting when she was watching it, and she said it just twisted the knife into J-Lo's back when Mark Anthony was in it. (laughs) (laughs) J-Lo's too old to be one of the kids and too young to play a boiler. But oh my god, though, in his, uh, what, five-minute scene with Anthony Ramos, I, I, for a brief moment there, I was like, did Mark Anthony just give the most nuanced, best performance in this movie just now? He gave a really great performance in one scene as a drug addict or at least he came off that way um, i think he was an alcoholic actually i think they were alcohol. trying to stay away from the drugs i think oh, okay well mm-hmm. he, he still needs to go to a meeting but, um, <laughs> yeah he, he gave a really really blinking you miss it kind of a performance but like other than having to rewatch it because i got a text like right as that my friend sent that to me. I'm like, oh, God, that's hilarious. I mean, he he definitely owned his scene. Uh, we mentioned before Olga Meredith as Abuela uh, really owns her big number. She was the original Abuela. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you see what she looks like out of character? Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. It is like a total 180. And the fact mm-hmm. that she was doing this in 2008, I believe she was like 55 or something. So this is a few years later. But, you know, it just absolutely nails it. And I won't tell you the context of Pestensia Fey from the show. But it's placed in act one, and it's a totally different context. The way that they reframe it for the film just absolutely knocked me out. 
And I think it serves the character better because in the show, I don't think she gets the ending, shall we say, that she gets in this. It's a more offstage type of thing. And I think it, while, you know, she gets like a little bit of song stuff cut from other places. There's um, hundreds of stories that song with her and Usnavi that was cut. I do think that it gives her a more of an arc and pays better tribute to the character. She also has a lot of little dialogue scenes and I think is just... So good in this. I love the scene with her and Usnavi showing him, the, showing her the pictures of um, his dad's old bar, and she's like, "What's that?" And he's like, "Oh, the roof." Oh no! The floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, other than that scene and like you know the words of wisdom about like talking about little details that tell the world that we are not invisible, I genuinely do wish that they would have given her just slightly more earlier before her uh, big number. I say this because even though I feel that scene emotionally and her performance during that number is really, really, really good, I think it could have been even more emotional than it was, if, if you ask me. The thing that gets me, or that got me today when I was watching it for a second time, is that I love Paciencia Fe. I think that is... So, one of the best songs in the show, and it's certainly the best number the way that they've staged it and shot it in this. But, and I love how they recontextualized it and made that her goodbye. It is beautiful. But for everything after that to have the emotional impact, you need to see more of her relationships with the rest of the neighborhood. Like, we really only see her interact with these five people yeah and so when the whole neighborhood comes out and holding candles and singing alavanta it's a beautiful moment but it doesn't have the emotional impact that it should have because we really don't have a larger context of her relationships until that moment like they say in dialogue she adopted the whole block as her own but we don't actually i think visually See see her interacting like you said dan in a way that cements and solidifies that so that we understand the gravity of the loss to the community. Even just like a little bit that they could add of like her walking down the street when going somewhere and like everybody saying hi to her or something like that where it's like like a transition type scene almost. Mm -hmm. Like You could add, that's one aspect where you could add very small things. Uh, You know, we talked about uh, how she has impact on uh, the main characters in this movie and there is a, a really, really good scene uh where they all come together at um kevin's uh apartment for a dinner and i really really like that scene a lot for a a multitude of different reasons and probably the number one reason is um obviously interaction between the characters but number two is man how good does it feel to see jimmy smith's getting a showcase role in 2021 it's oh. so great. He deserves so much better than what he has. His place in history, especially awards history, has kind of been, you know, usurped. You talk about the Golden Globes, you know, he was the first person of color to win Best Drama Actor. For uh, NYPD Blue? Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the few persons of color to win Drama Supporting Actor also for an Emmy. So it's really nice to see him in a role with something to do. Yeah, he's not like regulated to the uh, background. He actually has quite a few 
really dramatic scenes, either with Nina, played by Leslie Grace, or um, as we mentioned before, that dinner scene, once again, where he's mostly interacting with Leslie Grace, but everyone else is kind of mm-hmm. watching. But I, I was really struck by um, how much nuance um, and emotional depth he was given uh, with this role. I, I, I feel like where I could have used a little bit more uh, for Olga, um, they gave a lot to Jimmy Smith's uh, in his supporting role in this. Yeah, it's not yeah. casting. I was really happy for him because when I saw him in the trailer, I was like, oh, they just need a uh, Hispanic actor of a certain age to play the dad. No. I'm not a yeah. musical. And so, uh, I mean, I only listened to the cast album. So for me, I was really happy for him to have something like this. I really wish he had a number. Does he have a number in the uh, show, guys? He does have a number in the show. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a speaky number. It's like a new till. Yeah, he then he goes on the end. So, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. He you know who does have that. a big song? It's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, his wife. Uh, played by Priscilla Lopez, who was killed off for the movie. She has a song called Enough. And then also then if we're talking about beyond the supporting players in this movie, then we've got the cameos of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Christopher Jackson as the water, ice cream, uh, softy, like, you know. Piragua. Piragua, exactly. Piragua, yeah. And here's the here's the funny thing about like Lynn in this, because um, obviously I think everyone on the planet now has watched Hamilton on Disney Plus and pretty much everyone has come to realize genius songwriter, genius, genius, genius all around. Not not the best singer in the world. However, I thought that he was genuinely doing a great job with the notes that he was given in this to the point that I was like, what? Where was this in Hamilton? <laughs> well, I'm not entirely convinced that all those notes are his. If you so. <laughs> shade, but yeah, I think he is a magnetic presence. Like when I see him in Hamilton, I'm like, you know what? You might not be on the level of Leslie Odom singing, but I like watching you. You are grabbing my attention. He, he gets the acting down. All the yeah, yeah. I, I have nothing against Lin Manuel. I think the man is a genius, and I love all that he does to really boost the musical theater community. So no shade for me. Yeah. It's um, really delightful to watch in this. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah, I, I think it was a small role. I, I get why they like he wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah I actually, speaking of Hamilton, saw an interview where he's like, I thought I should play Aaron Burr, and I'm like, oh, you couldn't pull that role off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that they have a brief uh, scene again uh, after the credits, but the one little interaction between Lynn and Christopher Jackson in this before the credits, um, where 
I, I think it's just the look where Christopher Jackson's handing yeah. out the Mr. Softies and he's like eyeballing yeah. Lynn. It's just so <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> so funny. Oh, yeah, that, that was really, that, that put a smile on my face. And, you know, that's obviously for the fans. Not everyone's going to understand that level of context here, but. Yeah, I always love in musicals because I'm a big musical fan. So I always love when people from the original cast are in there, even in small roles, like when Colm Wilkinson, who was the original Jean Valjean, was mm-hmm. played the priest. I get a big yeah. kick out of those kind of things. So, like, I think if, you know, he wasn't Lin-Manuel Miranda, they might have cut the Paragua number. But it was still mm-hmm. nice to see a few people from the cast and in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, and I like little bits like that because I think it makes the community feel more lived in. When we kind of get away mm-hmm. from the core cast, you get to see. I would have kind of liked, I, obviously, he's a big star and he's Lin-Manuel Miranda, so that's why they centered him. But I was like... I would have liked to see maybe a couple other little numbers or little like asides with other people throughout Washington Heights just to really bring it all together too. I think that's why they kept a lot of the salon in there. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can we talk to the ladies? Sure. I yeah. love them so Melissa, much. I'm also really, really happy for Daphne Ruben Vega to get this, uh, yeah. to get this like kind of showcase role as well. Daphne Ruben Vega, I think in, a perfect world would have maybe if she doesn't get the nomination, at least a campaign for supporting actress because, oh, my God, she blows the roof off Carnival de Barrio. So good. I love her so much. And uh, Elizabeth Trees and Dasha Polanco, just, they're uh, so funny. I her, love Dasha her. Polanco's That's character is new. It uh, didn't yeah. really add a whole lot, but it was just funny to see her as like the you know, sex hungry, uh, you know, woman at the salon, Kuka. Yes, sir. Very funny. But uh, Stephanie Beatrice, if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, this cannot be a further one eighty from uh, Rosa Diaz on that show, mm-hmm. which made it so much more fun. Yeah, they are wonderful. I uh, want to give a quick shout out to a performer who fans of the show might know. Her name is Doreen Montalvo, and she uh, was an ensemble member, but she had played different roles through uh, the production of the show going back to the nineties. I think she played uh, Nina's mother at one point. She was an ensemble member. She is the voice that you hear in the record that keeps scratching uh, that Abuela listens to and in the finale. Uh, so she's in the film. She's actually in Spielberg's West Side Story, but she passed oh away suddenly this past November. Oh, so the film is dedicated sad. to her memory. There's a mural of her in the credits if you go back and see that. Yeah. So, oh, that's uh, really sweet. I actually just want to get this group back together when, when West Side Story comes out so we can compare the two after we see it. Because oh, I God. <laughs> Because I feel like it would be an interesting juxtaposition of of just, you know, culture and these two musicals that feature very heavy Latino casts. Um, but yeah, I interviewed Alex Lacamoire like a, two years ago for Fosse Verdon. And I asked him, I said, so are you guys going to put a new number in this musical? And he gave me like a 10 minute diatribe about how they were not going to do that. You can always tell when they add a new song in because it's just, mm-hmm. to get, mm-hmm. just to get an Oscar nomination. And at, it was at the time when he was, you know, campaigning for Fosse Verdon. And I said, well, you might feel differently once you win an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you know, he's like, yeah, you probably are right. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, that puts him one away from the EGOT. Of course, at the end, we got a new number, which uh, they put Mark Anthony in. So I guess you contractually have to have Mark Anthony sing. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that if they're going to add a song, at least it's just like a credits. Because, yeah, I think that it, it, it holds on to the integrity of it all. Whereas I think if you had added a, a whole new song, I think there would still be that. Unless it was like amazing, there'd be that tinge of like, what's this for? 
Yes. That's a good song. I like it. It made me watch the credits. So I like mm-hmm. the song enough to keep watching the credits. They're, they're not going to get it for this. Um, no, 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 no. They're probably no. going to have to go up against um, the Bond theme. So now we have to uh, end our conversation about the cast by talking about Anthony Ramos here as Usnavi, otherwise uh, named after U.S. Navy, which I thought was really cute <laughs> and funny, with Hamilton. Anthony gained quite a following and he has shown up in bit roles here and there in things like uh, A Star is Born, Monsters and Men. He was uh, also in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But this is obviously the true uh, breakout role for him that is going to lead to more projects, bigger projects in the future. He has a really magnetic screen quality about him that makes him extremely likable and obviously he's a triple threat he can act he can sing he could dance mm-hmm. he could do it all and i thought that in terms of if we're going from lynn manuel miranda to anthony ramos no offense to lynn once again i thought it was a nice upgrade yeah <laughs> anthony it, ramos I, is having a moment mm-hmm. yes. he's he's i mean this is like melissa mccarthy and bridesmaids this is going to lead him to an emmy nomination within treatment in a few months this is one of those things where if they just hand out Golden Globe Awards, they don't, you know, have a ceremony. It would be a real interesting race with so many musicals this year. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, oh, God, he was so good. And he's lucky that he was already in something like A Star is Born because at least he's somewhat well-known enough to, like, be more in the conversation for an award. Mm. Yeah, a familiar face for sure. Yeah. Do you remember at the Oscars last year, so the 2019-2020 ceremony, they had him come out to present, Lin-Manuel coming out to present a montage? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was like them setting him up back when we thought In the Heights was coming out last summer. So they've really been, you know, trying to put him at the forefront and make him a star. And I think uh, we're going to see that. Honestly, if Anthony Ramos and Melissa Barrera don't become superstars on the backs of this, then... I don't know. What are we what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I just was really, like I said, kind of uh, starstruck by how much of a star he was in this, like how well he carried this movie. And like I said, made us really like this character. I was a little, little frustrated with how he handles Vanessa's uh, affection for him at times. But that aside, um, I thought that Anthony Ramos uh, displayed all of the star making qualities that I'm trying to I'm trying to avoid a star is born cliches here, but they are they are really applying to um, where he's at in his life, his career and quite frankly, um, just his talent, because I do think that what I don't want to see happen is I don't want to see him get pigeonholed into uh, being a go-to musical um, actor. You know, it's like, I would, I would like to see him take on uh, a variety of different roles because I really do believe that he has a ton of potential uh, to showcase. He's not someone that you could just pigeonhole into one thing. Yeah. Like literally right from when he like turns to the camera and he's like, Hey y'all, good morning. I swooned. Oh. I was just yeah, mm-hmm. I was done. I was with him the entire mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He has a charm that is mm-hmm. totally his own that only the biggest and brightest stars have. 
Yeah, he has a different type of charm than Lynn Manuel's charm. Lynn Manuel yeah. was better at playing like the dorky type of bodega yes. owner, and this guy still has to play those parts. But when he like looks right into the camera and your heart melts, that's something that only yeah. he has, and that is true star power charisma right there. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a really. If you haven't at least watched his first episode of In Treatment, it's just night and day. But it's still, it's, he still has that just natural charm to his personality. All right. I like to do this for our musical reviews. So I'm going to start off with Casey first. Casey, favorite number in the film? As much as the opening is like just this burst of energy and especially like like when it reaches its peak when they're all dancing in the street, nothing beats Paciencia y Fe. That just, as someone who just loves a good... Uh, as, as Michael said on our um, musical review of women of a certain age getting a big song, it just, <laughs> but the way that it's staged and it has such a beautiful emotion, it, that, that was the one that I think blew me away the most. And it's the one that I'm still thinking about. And her, her presence lingers even when she's gone because of that number. Zach. Ooh, I like, I totally agree that the opening is just, flawless but i would say aside from that carnival de barrio is just you know that's the one where i totally just wanted to get up out of my seat and just start dancing like it's the energy there is so infectious and that's probably the one i've listened to the most outside of the opening michael yeah what casey said but i also do love carnival de barrio i was dancing in my seat and lip-syncing the entire movie <laughs> so yeah but what olga Meredith does in that number and the way it's staged and presented is just Absolutely gorgeous. I will watch that again on HBO Max over the next month until it disappears. <laughs> Amanda, I hate agreeing with everyone, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, with, with what Casey said about Pacencia Yife. Yeah, I, I can't pronounce it. I took French, <laughs> uh, I, but I also really loved how organic the opening number was. Yeah, it has this unbelievable rhythm and energy to it. The editing in this movie is just like incredible. You just the street kind of hums like that. Mm-hmm. 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 Dan Bear. I mean, look, the opening number is flawless. 96,000 made me want to like, I wanted to give it a standing ovation when I saw it. It just ends in such a blast of energy and all the synchronized swimming choreography is just out of this world. But Paciencia Ife just made my jaw drop. It is so powerful and so stunning and much more nuanced and interesting and dynamic than it was on Broadway. I, that is a true example of how you can just elevate something with the power of cinema. I'm going to go with the uh, hold music on the phone for You'll Be Back. <laughs> <laughs> I died laughing when I realized what that was. You do get like everybody involved, like Warner Brothers, John Chu, everybody involved wants Hamilton. Like, this is just like, we'll let you do whatever you want for In the Heights, but. Yeah. I want the next one. Yeah, they're not fooling anyone. <laughs> my my, re- my real answer to the question, uh, though, is I echo what a lot of people said about the opening. I think the opening is tremendous. I really, I, I, I think that probably is my favorite, but um, I want to give a shout out to, um, I actually really, really liked uh, Blackout a lot. Oh, um, yes. I don't know if it had to do with just the, the chorus and like the rhythm of it all and something about it, though, I, I really, really enjoyed. I remember when the New York uh, blackout actually occurred. Uh, the Northeast actually it wasn't just New York. It was like a huge, yeah. huge chunk 
of the U.S. And uh, I remember roaming the streets uh, that evening in just pitch, pitch, pitch blackness. And so, yeah, that, that was that was pretty cool. Anytime the power goes out, I'll go blackout, blackout, blackout. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the fireworks. fireworks. All right. So in terms of final thoughts on the film, anything that we did not mention you want to mention, I'm passing it over first to Casey Lee Clark. I will just say, when we were talking about the opening number, I think that's where the editing shines the most, um, particularly like when it's cutting all around to the different people in that area of the city, you know, getting ready for work and stuff. I think that just it's it's such a great way to set the stage. And I think it just it's a very relatable feeling whether you live in a city or just anything i think it's really relatable in that way and it's such a great way to start it off um yeah i pretty much said everything i had to i think it's just great all right dan bear i do want to give a shout out which we haven't done yet to um the cinematography by alice brooks gorgeous it's so colorful and beautifully lit even if i had a little bit of issues with that combined with the CGI and um, what what is it? the duet where they're dancing when up the sun goes down. Oh, the sun goes oh, down. When the sun goes down. Yeah, but like it's so this movie is so beautiful to look at, and I just love how vibrant it is and how really cinematic they chose to make everything. And for all my nitpicks about you know certain aspects of the material being flattened a bit and how it loses its pacing and how they really could have cut champagne and made that a dialogue scene and cut a few minutes from the movie, but whatever. Uh, all of that fades away in the sheer cinematic exuberance of the whole. It's it's one of my favorite films in a long time. Zach? Yeah, I agree with everyone saying that it's definitely one of the best musicals of the century and will probably go down as one of the best movie musicals of all time. I just think they knocked it out of the park. Out of the heights. Yes. (laughs) Um, I really hope that the ensemble is properly recognized at the end of the year because I think they're just flawless. I really, like I said earlier, could not find a weak link. I think everyone was so committed to it and their energy and passion for the material was just you know, infectious. And I felt swept up in it almost the entire time. And I'm really rooting for Anthony and Olga to get some attention at the end of the year. We'll see what happens, but I'll be going to bat for them all year long. Amanda. I adored this film. Uh, its problems are so few. They do not cause me to outweigh its, its strengths. I love that this was a diverse cast and crew. And as much as we always love to talk about Oscars, uh, I'm a SAG Awards expert, so I like to start thinking about those, too. And I think we got uh, John Shu's going to have another ensemble nominated for SAG, for film ensemble. This was great. Michael. I really have nothing new to add. Everyone said what I was thinking. This is just a wonderful film. We have thoughts across two podcasts. You can listen to this and then go to listen to our Next Best Theater episode where we talk about the show in detail. It's wonderful. I can't wait to see what John Chu is going to do with Wicked because that's a project that's been in the pipeline for a while. And if his vision is as bold and ambitious there as it is here, I have no reason to be worried. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Gregory Diaz IV. Um, really, really liked him in uh, this role here as Sonny. Uh, I also like the line of that Usnavi says, here I work to survive. El Sinito will be a labor of love. Um, I think that, you know, when we think a lot about how this is a very 
particular group's uh, story and how much we talk about representation on screen, there are still so many relatable themes at play here in terms of whether it's working a hard day's uh, a hard day's labor to build a better uh, future for yourself or for the people that you care about. I think there's a lot going on here that I think that um, makes it just once again such a communal experience, as I said at the top of the show, that um, is really, really, really incredible to see after the last year and a half of not being able to go back to the cinemas. And granted, I loved all the independent movies that we got over the last year and a half. They were awesome. But there's something very, very special about the timing of the release of In the Heights right now. And I know people are saying, oh, this is the movie that will bring people back to the cinemas, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, every movie's got a reason to check it out in a cinema, whether it's for the high octane thrills of F9 or the sound design of A Quiet Place. But I really think that In the Heights is a full package if you ask me. Mm-hmm. With that said, uh, I am giving In the Heights a very strong 8 out of 10. It was a fantastic cinematic experience. Can't wait to watch it again. And while we were recording this, I actually can confirm I am watching it for a third time this evening. <laughs> so can't wait to do that. Michael, what about you? Yeah, I absolutely love this. I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. Dan Bear. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Matt. I am at a very strong 8 out of 10. Zach? I'm at a 9 out of 10, but honestly, I, especially on the second viewing, love it so much. I would not be opposed to possibly even raising it in the future. I think it's just flawless and so fun. Amanda? Oh, God. Um, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 because I think it accomplished what it wanted to masterfully i agree with that wholeheartedly casey i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten as well but i definitely think that could always go up it definitely feels like something that could be so easily rewatchable i'm so excited to see it again all right we touched upon some aspects of uh, awards potential for in the heights uh this has been a very 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 interesting subject to talk about over the last couple of days because it seems that there is like a whole contingent on twitter that doesn't want to hear people talk about awards prospects for this movie um though as if like we're jinxing it or you know we're gonna say the wrong thing that's gonna like change people's perception of it or something like that so it's been very very odd to say the least it's like people are just very very protective of this movie and i fully understand that and I have thought about this a lot because on the first viewing, my initial thought was, okay, clearly has best picture potential, but what else can it get nominated in to support that? Like, I know that there is a uh, push right now for Olga in supporting actress. Uh, Sound could happen. Cinematography could happen. Editing could happen. Maybe John M. Chu and director. Who knows? But costumes, I think it should get a costume nomination. Maybe that would be great. But here's the problem, though. For every one of these prospects that I keep listing, I kept coming up with reasons why they might miss. Sound only has five nominations now after getting rid of a category. And there are a lot of musicals this year. Cinematography, Alice Alice Brooks, kind of a new name on the block. Um, Don't really know where that's going to go. Uh, Olga, 
there has already been talk about, you know, comparisons to Anne Hathaway and Les Miserables and how it's one musical number. Is that enough? Anne was uh, someone that was very, very familiar and well-known with a lot of us prior to her getting to that point. Previous Oscar nominee, too. Olga, very familiar with the Broadway crowd. So I think there's more of a narrative uphill climb there for some people. And bottom line is, like, as I kept going through these one by one, the really the only one I couldn't find a flaw with was editing. Um, but then something hit me like a lightning bolt. I realized that this year we're going to have 10 nominees for Best Picture this year. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same voting scale as it was before where... Uh, the Academy members will list five, one through five, and it's so contingent upon what gets the number one votes. So there is actually a part of me that thinks that the safest nomination that In the Heights could actually receive is Best Picture. And there's a mm-hmm. world where Which it may not crazy. even get anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, I agree with but you. I totally agree. Yeah. I was going to say the, the biggest problem Olga has herself is not that she's only known mostly in the Broadway community. It's actually, it's this really quirky thing, because I, I did an article about this a long time ago, is that, yeah, she was Tony nominated for this role previously, but she didn't win. And that's the big mm. kicker, is usually the people who uh, win, when they reprise their role, have a better chance than just like a past nominee. The yeah. only past nominee, Tony nominee loser to win an Oscar, and she only won half an Oscar, was Barbara Streisand for Funny People? Funny, mm-hmm. funny girl. <laughs> funny. Barbara Streisand in the Judd Apatow <laughs> film. <laughs> She's one of the comics. Uh, but, you know, the other thing, too, now in regards to that, Amanda, and you and I, I know we talked about this, is the lack of the Golden Globes this year, I think, is hurting a movie like In the Heights maybe more than any other film because yeah. think about the release strategy. It just came out. It'll be on HBO Max for 30 days. We get to July. Now it's not on HBO Max. Maybe it's still playing in some theaters here and there. I'm sure it will be. Uh, But then by the time we get to the end of summer, it's going to be gone. Then there'll be like this two-month lull period where we wait for the Blu-ray, the DVD, etc. And it will come. that'll come out. But then we have another lull period from then like September, October until when the Globes then should have been happening, but they're not, and that could have been the way to kind of sustain the momentum. So what is going to help In the Heights sustain this momentum? Because I'm telling telling you this right now, the movie is too mainstream popular, in my opinion, for the critics groups to nominate it left and right to keep it in people's minds. I mean, I think guilds will help, you know, especially with those distinctions of, you know, current day costumes or... But the only problem with that, Casey, and I agree with you that guilds will go for this 100%. Guilds went for Crazy Rich Asians pretty hard. Not a single Oscar nomination. Yeah. But that was, again, with the sliding scale and... The rom-com. Yeah, it's a rom-com and there's natural resistance to that among the Oscars. And its best chances for... Um, other nominations were costume and production design, which were very crowded categories that year. Now, the criti- the critics might surprise us. The critics might yeah. go for In the Heights in a couple of different categories that could help. It would make me really happy. I would love for this to just get all the ensemble awards that it yeah, can. Yeah, I mean, it's because, like, come on. ensemble is absolutely going to happen. I think the other problem this year is, is that unlike in most years where there might be, this would be the only musical is that this is really going to be the year of musicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to yeah. have a lot of them. And like whether we like it or not, you know, 
Amy Adams and Dear Evan Hansen. Oh my God, let's you know that could that could happen if that movie's great. And then you're going to have a few months later West Side Story, where there's going to be a lot of them this year. Yeah, the one upside with this is that In the Heights of all of them is I think the most uplifting and the most mm-hmm, like yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. I think you know don't underestimate the power of a feel good. People love the it's a movie that makes you feel good. It, that could... Which is why I've got that Best Picture nomination. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. granted, it's not a sure thing. I I was saying this in the chat with you guys uh, yesterday. In the Heights will never, this whole season for me, be considered a sure thing in Best Picture until it actually gets the nomination. Because yeah. I really do think it's going to be a fringe contender all season. And the only thing that I think is going to help get it over the finish line is this very extremely passionate support that we're seeing right now from I'm not just talking about social media because we do we all know that sometimes you can tweet and say whatever you want on social media and it just goes out into the void but there are these pieces that are being written about in big magazines there are these big celebrity endorsements mm-hmm. happening that video that kind of exposure and energy needs to be kept up all year in order for this to survive because right now it's early yeah there is still a lot of movies to come out over the next six months it's always well, hard when you get released this early, but I, I think, you know, it's not always a, a bad thing. We we saw, you know, Black Panther mm-hmm. stick around, and it, it's possible that there is room in a 10 for this. Um, another thing about the critics groups, I think they could make Olga happen. I do think there is, she is someone, as like we were saying, you know, has that Broadway support and stuff, and if they really want to push her, I could definitely see her making it to the finish line with some of their support. What's really interesting about Olga is we talk about her support with the Broadway community because she has the Tony nomination. But if you look at the history of what she's been in, she's only been in six Broadway shows and dozens and dozens and dozens of movies and TV shows. So she actually has more experience on the film and TV side. So I don't know if that's going to help her out with people who know her from over the years. No, you look at her credits, it goes back to 1984. She's been in some pretty big movies. You have like Evita, Marvin's Room, K-Pax, Mr. Popper's Penguins, uh, okay. the and the Pines. We need to work like, on our definition of big movies. I was going to say, you lost me at K-Pax. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like movies with stars. It's not like little indie nothings. They're, yeah, they're yeah. movies that came out in theaters. And she's been on TV shows. She has histories with being in uh, productions with people who are voting members of the Academy. So I think that's just something to consider. And Amanda, to your point about the Tony nomination, what I've always found interesting about that year at the Tony Awards is that In the Heights won Best Musical and Best Score. It won four awards overall, which is pretty low for a Best Musical winner because that year was all about the revivals. You had South Pacific at Lincoln Center and Gypsy with Patti LuPone winning three acting awards. They just dominated the night. So had it been any other year, In the Heights probably would have cleaned up and Olga would have won featured actors in a landslide. I think we can agree and with most either series or plays or musicals at any award show, if you win the big award, typically your one of your actors will go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that yeah, that's that's atypical. But I, I'm just, you know, I love me a stat. I'd love mm-hmm. to see her break it, but I think to your point, SAG, she she could absolutely get in at SAG and if she can get in at SAG. That would be huge as far as getting an Oscar nomination for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, all this is sort of 
contingent on it staying at the forefront of people's minds throughout the rest of the year. And it's a long journey and there are going to be a lot of movies that come out between now and then. But I think to your point from earlier, Matt, is like there are going to be a lot of pieces written about this. There have already been a lot of pieces written about this. And as the year goes on and this does become the year of musicals, there are going to be a lot of things that are written about musicals. And if In the Heights keeps getting mentioned and if a lot of these other ones fail to disappoint or fail to to capture people's imaginations as much as this does, it or could definitely to end it. up yeah. being the standout. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, this has set the bar for the rest of the musicals this year and it's set it really really and that's not a bad high. thing sometimes yeah. it's easier to come out first because you're first because if something's wrong <laughs> and i'm not saying there's nothing wrong with your evan hansen but if it doesn't live up to it it's going to be compared to this and the same thing we know west side story is going to be compared to this because mm. if you look at the cast on and crew and imdb these are people who either you know even just the crew this is probably like their big film mm-hmm. this is probably I, their biggest yeah. to date production what they did giving everybody their first break. I think this is an incredible film and it's going to be mentioned, like you said, in every article about every musical that comes after it. I yeah. think the one thing that'll help this stand out from the crowded pack of musicals too, though, is also the representation angle. And I don't think that can be overstated enough is that this is something like, even aside from the feel good aspect of the film, this is highlighting mm-hmm. a community that is so continually underserved in cinema and it does yeah. have that event feel, kind of like we mentioned Black Panther being another early release, but that was a similar, you know, shining a light on these people and their culture. And that's something that I think will definitely help keep it in the conversation, yeah. even as more musicals keep cropping up. The thing that Black Panther had was huge box office and huge box mm-hmm. office legs. And this movie in the heights has already been positioned as like the movie that you need to see in cinemas the movie that you know will bring you back to cinemas and if it doesn't meet that narrative and is seen even slightly as a disappointment that's going to hurt it it's awards prospects so everyone needs to see this in a theater. I know HBO Max blah 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 see it in a theater if you want to see more movies if like you can this. Yes, you can. You can. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Dan. I think people really should make the effort to go see this in a theater. But at the same time, I recognize that's probably not going to be the case where I'm talking to so many people who want to see this movie over the weekend and are going to see it over the weekend, but they don't want to leave their house. So I think you are going to have the same number of eyeballs on it, but it's not going to reflect in those box office numbers in this brand new world that we're living in, which will be a really interesting test in how people are talking about it, because I think the conversation will be there. But it's not going to be the conversation around box office that we're so used to having in pre-COVID times. I think it's going to be interesting, though, because there will be people who will take that into account and go easier on, oh, it's a disappointment. Oh, it met expectations. Oh, it blew expectations out of the water angle of their pieces. And then there are people who are going to, unfortunately, sadly, disregard that factor, Michael, and they will write it off as a disappointment. And what I find most fascinating about the movie's position right now in the award season is, as I mentioned earlier, it could face all these hurdles. It could have all of these obstacles to overcome, and it might result in it missing out on all of these other nominations that could help support it to a Best Picture nomination. But I don't see how you watch this film and 
this does not somehow land in one of your top favorite movies of the year which is why like yeah. i'm not saying this is going to happen and obviously i would like to see it get the other supporting nominations but we sincerely truly could be looking at the first lone best picture nominee oh yeah in decades grand hotel yep <laughs> well, I, mean, I would love if this was grand hotel in one best picture that would be amazing I, i'm not saying win we're not talking win here but yeah, not talking know. not saying it will but that would be fun yeah but i mean like the narrative has already kind of started i mean variety's box office headline was subdued debut and forbes has said it disappointed already that narrative is setting in and hollywood loves a narrative and here's the difficult thing. When you have like Godzilla versus Kong and Mortal Kombat and The Conjuring still opening to, you know, like pretty decent numbers and also being available on HBO Max, I think that argument can't always be made for In the Heights. As much as I, you know, I want it to do well, it's hard when, you know, it's opening to like 15 million, but these other films still met, you know, decent expectations. So why is this not able to sustain a day and day release? Jesus well? Christ, I just pulled up Forbes and it says in the Heights disappoints with a five million dollar yeah. Friday. Holy shit. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. But at the same time, wow. you have to realize people are still watching it. But Michael, how does The Conjuring 3 possibly outgross on its opening weekend in the heights tell me how does that happen because i think you're looking at an audience a lot of like seniors who might not want to go back to the theater even if they're vaccinated or they're just more comfortable being at home whereas a horror movie you have like a lot of kids who might just want to go out and go oh yeah let's see the conjuring let's see what this, I think this scary really thing should is have been released like labor day weekend memorial day weekend over a three-day weekend where it's like a summer holiday like Let's make this an event. They could have also padded it out to give it a five-day box office weekend as opposed to three. Yeah, yeah I was genuinely I, kind also, of shocked they didn't release a Memorial Day weekend, honestly. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that, you know, you have to remember that just because people are vaccinated, you know, I'm still wearing a mask out because I don't trust the rest of y'all. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I know, me too. Know, it's, it's For me, it's like one of those things where, yeah, I can go grocery shopping or I can go to the farmer's market without a mask, but... You know, it's still kind of uncomfortable to sit in a movie theater and wear a mask for two and a half hours. Sure. I totally get it. We'll see what happens. It's definitely going to be one of the more interesting awards contenders that we will uh, be tracking all year long, just in terms of when this season is over and we look back. I think that there will be some learns here uh, that I'm excited to talk about with you guys as the season progresses. Casey Lee Clark. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Amanda, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amanda Spears. I'm sorry, but my dog did not bark at this movie like he did Cruella. (laughs) Zach, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Zach B. Gilbert. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. And Michael Schwartz. On Twitter at mschwartz95. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of In the Heights here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to the podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hey Hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.